0: This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ
1: good morning it's good to see you today it's great to be together and uh, we are talking this morning about the mocking Jay or that's the film that we're thinking about like what would what would Jesus have to say about that what would how would uh Jesus look at the mocking jay and what would Jesus Or how would Jesus have us look at the Mockingjay? Um, If you have comments or questions that, that sort of are spurred by this conversation, this sermon, we would encourage you to take a moment to either text those or tweet those to the numbers that you see on the screen. And one of the things that I'm going to... Um, sort of walk through this morning is some of the prisms or some of the things that I see popping up out of that film. And if you've got things that I miss, I'd love to hear what those are. So feel free to text, tweet those those into us, and, and uh, we'd love to enter into a conversation. Well, The Mockingjay is a part of a series of films, and the series of films is known as The Hunger Games. How many of you have seen one, at least one film, or maybe all of them, or have read, read some of the books? There you go. We've got great... Uh, uh, it's great representation here today. Uh, so, yeah, I'm just quickly going to cover those that series of what the the films are, are covering. Um, you know, the first film is where we're introduced to Katniss, we're introduced to PETA, and we're introduced to this whole reality that this that this whole series is is framed within where you've got the capital and then you've got all the districts in this country called Panem, which used to be the United States plus Canada plus I don't know what, minus places that are now flooded. You can find all that interesting stuff on Google. You know, somebody's gone through and they've called the books and they've got maps and everything else. And Katniss is in District 13. And District 13, life in District 13, as in every other district except the capital is... is Awful and terrible. It's a survivalist kind of mentality, where you've got to try and figure out with what whatever skills they let you do, you've got to try and figure out how you're going to survive. And then there's this games that we're introduced to, the Hunger Games, where because of the war that took place many years before, now there's this peace, but it's not really a kind of a. It's truly not peaceful. It's the kind of peace that the devil himself would put into place, right? Where you've got to every district has to send two of of their young people every year into this arena, almost like the Gladiator Games, like the Colosseum in Rome, and they've got to fight to the death, (coughs) except one gets to live, and they get to be the champion of the Hunger Games. And then, that's the way they keep the peace in that land. So if you live in the districts, you live in a place like this. If you live in the capital, you live in a place that looks like this. Where you've got lots of makeup, you've got lots of stuff, you've got all the best technology, you've got everything that's great. And so it r- looks really good to live in the capital. unless you tick somebody off. And if you tick somebody off, then you can be dispatched rather quickly. So nowhere, whether you live in the districts or you live in the capital, is there really peace. But in film one, in book one, we're introduced to PETA and Katniss, who are called into the games. And once they're in the games, they win. And they win... And they they change the game just a little bit because they're from the same district. And somewhere along the way, they game the gamers with this thought that they are in love. And they couldn't possibly kill one another or do anything else. And so the game has to shift at the end of film one. And PETA and Katniss get to make it into film two. And then in film two, the games continue again. But this time, all those who win are now invited. The, the reaping takes place from the winners, and they are put back into the arena. But the game makers themselves have had enough of the despair. They've had enough of this false peace. They've had enough of seeing people thrown to the wild and to the wolves. And so they decide that this has to, be, this has to come to an end. So they throw lots of things into it. The game comes to, it, to an end abruptly. Um, Katniss is rescued out. She's taken to some place she doesn't know, and Peeta is rescued, and he becomes the the spokesperson, somewhat against his will. The spokesperson then for the Capitol, and that's film three. And in film three, we get to hear the story. We see the story of Katniss becoming the Mockingjay, uh, and she becomes the Mockingjay in ways where she doesn't really want to. She doesn't. You know, this is a ride that she didn't sign up for, and she wants off. So she expresses that, but she can't get off. And PETA is, is the tool of the capital. And there's just all kinds of setups for what's about to take place in film four, which is coming up this November. So if you want to find the conclusion, you've got to go to November. It's my wife's birthday this year. We'll be there on her birthday watching film number four. To see what finally takes place. Uh, Taylor likes our media director. He said, all along the way, you're kind of hoping you're waiting for this big war so that the, the districts can find their freedom. He said, watch out. You're going to find the big war and you're going to, it's going to leave a bad taste in your mouth at the end. Is that too much to give away, Taylor? I see him up in the, uh, that's good. Thanks. All right. Thanks. I didn't spoil it too much. So these films, they've gripped lots of people. Like, Tons of you have seen them. Lots of people have read the books. I, I read that uh, at least in, in 2012, about 27 million copies of the books had been sold. That's a lot of books to sell. And then, and that, that doesn't amount for the number of people who've seen the film. So this is a, a film that is gripping uh, at least uh, our culture and, and other cultures as well. So when you th- look at the film and you, you begin to ask the question, how does this line up with... Um, With where we're going, or how does it line up with the life that we live in today? One of the interesting things you could do this afternoon is go to Google and search, you know, what does the Hunger Games mean? And you are going to find everything from blog posts to academic papers that have been written about the meaning behind the Hunger Games. There was an, an article written in the L.A. Times where a guy suggested at least four things that he has seen popping up in other places about what the Hunger Games mean. He says, some people think it's a parable of the Occupy Wall Street movement. Um, that's an interesting thought to, to put in there. Some people think it's a cautionary tale against big government. Some people see it as a call for campaign finance reform. I've never saw that at, at all when I've watched the films. And then some people see it as an undeniable Christian allegory. Well, I, I have a little hesitancy to say that it's an undeniable Christian allegory. I don't know that you could fully put that over top of it or see that from within the subtext. But I will say this much, that as, I, as I've watched the films, as I've engaged with the films, um, there are a number of things that have begun to speak to me about my walk with Christ and about a call to discipleship. There are a number of things that... Uh, That asks me questions along the way and things where I I find myself being prodded um, to ask deeper questions about what's going on in my own life and what's happening in our world. And so this is where I'd like to share some of those things with you. And and if you've got things that I miss, please send me a a text or tweet us back with some of your own observations. We'd love that. So here are three things this morning I'd like to share with you. The first comes from a text from the Gospel of John. Jesus says in John chapter 15, He says, This is my command. Love one another the way I have loved you. This is the very best way to love. Put your life on the line for your friends. When Jesus says this, He's in the upper room with His friends. And it's not long after that that He'll go to the cross. Earlier in the night, He took a a bowl, a, a basin of water and a towel, and He washed His friends' feet. And then he talked with them about how he was going to be leaving and returning to the Father. He talked about how he would be betrayed. He talked with them about how the Father would send the gift of the Holy Spirit. And at this point, he's talking with them about how he really wants them to live in the world. He wants them to live in such a way that they would lay down their lives for their friend. Because in just a few moments, Jesus is going to do that for them. He's going to lay down his life for for these people who are gathered around him as friends. As um, this whole series began, the whole Hunger Games series, that text was brought into my mind in the first film when we're first introduced to Katniss and her sister Prim and they're living in District 13. And, and they're approaching the day of reaping when the people from the capital come and they pull out the numbers from the jar and determine who the tributes are going to be from each of the districts. And it, this is Prim's first time to have her number in the bowl, remember? And she's, she's really scared and she's frightened. And there's that line, you know, well, what may the odds ever be in your favor? That's the line that the people from the Capitol love to say. Knowing, and everybody in the districts know, that the odds are never in your favor if your name is plucked from that jar. And I forget her name, but she reaches in and she pulls out and it's Prim's name. And Prim is devastated. She's 13. And Katniss knows that it's a certain death. And that's where she volunteers for the first time. She raises her hand. She steps out. She says, I'll take my sister's place. Let her live and I'll go. Katniss, in that moment, reflects for a, For me, for my reading of it, she reflects that that verse from John where Jesus said, What is it what is it to love? It's to lay down your life for your friends. There are people in our world today, not us, not here, but there are people in our our world today who will be making that choice. They're probably not on this continent. But they're somewhere today. We should be reminded of that. We should pray that they would have courage, the kind of courage that Katniss displays, and they have love. Out of that picture and out of that text from the Gospel of John, I do a little reflection upon my own life. You know how I get up in the morning and brush my hair, brush my teeth and do my run and go about the business of work and go home and then end the end of the day by laying my head back in my pillow. That text from John is still there, but it's there in a different sort of way. How have you loved today so that you lay down your life for your friends? What about the things that you've done in the midst of of your day reflects, I'm taking intentional steps to love in the highest way, in the best way possible? When I think about that picture and I think about Jesus' words, that's the question that comes to me. How are you loving in the way of Christ? The second text that, um, or the second image from the scriptures that I begin to reflect upon as I see the films is the story of Esther. You know, Esther is this um, heroic personality that we find in the Old Testament. She's uh, she's a Jew, but she's not living in the land of Israel. She's uh, been taken away as a captive. And then in the midst of her own captivity, her beauty has been noticed by the king and, and Esther has found her way into the palace. She is now, she's now got the place of being a queen. She has a title and a function of being the queen. And then, in the land in which they live, there is this decree that goes out that those who are Jews, those who've been taken captives from Israel, on a certain day, many months down the road, should be put to death. That um, it's allowed. It's encouraged. The empire itself has encouraged this, and Mordecai, Esther's uncle, finds himself in the public square weeping, and and he he's put on sackcloth and ashes. And Esther sends people out to ask Mordecai why he's put on sackcloth and ashes, why he's weeping, because Esther hasn't heard about the decree yet, and Mordecai sends word back about the decree. And and Esther sends word like, well, what am I supposed to do about it? And this is what Mordecai says back to Esther in Esther chapter Uh, 4. Hathats told Mordecai what Esther had said. Mordecai sent her this message. Don't think that just because you live in the king's house, you are the one Jew who will get out of this alive. If you persist in staying silent at a time like this, help and deliverance will arrive for the Jews from someplace else. But you and your family will be wiped out. Who knows? Maybe you were made queen for just such a time as this. Esther sent back her answer to Mordecai. Go and get all the Jews living in Susa together. Fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, either day or night. I and my maids will fast with you. If you will do this, I'll go to the king. Even though it's forbidden, if I die, I die. Esther finds herself in a place where there's well, there's a no-win situation, at least in what she sees. On the one hand, this decree has been delivered that all of the Jews are to be destroyed on this one day. And she has a title, she has a function, she has a place. And yet she knows in the law of the land that if she goes to the king without the king calling her, the king could dispatch of her at any moment. And she has not been called to the king for 30 days. Meaning, she thinks she's displeased the king in some form or fashion. Meaning, she has a great sense of fear of going before the king. And so there she stands. She has this burden. Mordecai has laid this burden, not just a burden of her own life, but a burden of all of her people. This burden is upon her shoulders. And she carries it. She has burden she has to carry with no way out she's looking for the exit signs but there's no way out in Mockingjay part 1 there's the scene that we're gonna play right now that shows us what that might have been like for Esther it certainly shows us what it was like for Katniss
0: president snow it's Katniss president snow are you there President Snow. It not... on it. I don't imagine you're calling to thank me for the roses. I never asked for this. I never asked to be in the games. Box. Come I never in. asked to be the Mockingjay. I just wanted to save my sister and keep PETA alive. Come in. Box. Please just let him go and i will stop being the mocking jay i will disappear you will never have to see me ever again this is box come in Can you, you couldn't run from this any more than you could have run from the games hey, man, i need a situation report box we're running out of time hurry this move please you've won you've already beaten me Release Peta, and take me instead. we are long past the opportunity for noble sacrifice. Then tell me what to do. I've always kept my promises, haven't I? You said you didn't want a war. And that's just what's happened. I told you what a fragile thing peace was. And still, like a child, you took pleasure in breaking it. I know what you are. I know you can't see past your narrowest concerns. But please, Miss Everdeen, I doubt you know what honesty is anymore. Command, we're at the first target. Prepare to extract Peter. We'll confirm when he's in the head. In G1, prepare alphagraph for evac. You asked me to convince you that I was in love with Peter. Haven't I at least done that? Miss Everdeen, It's the things we love most that destroy us. I want you to remember that I said that. Don't you think I know your friends are in the Tribute Center? Cut them off. Bob, come in. What happened? Bob, come in. You read me. He knows that they're in there. Fox, it's in. a Can trap. Really it. We have to get a hold of them. We have to tell them to get out. He knows. There's Fox, no signal. We can't contact them. No. He knew the whole time he was taunting Fox. me. No, I No, we don't know that. No, we don't know that. Did them both tonight? Did I lose them both tonight? No, yeah. I them both tonight? No. no. I both tonight?
1: Katniss finds herself in a place where there is this burden and she can't find the exit anywhere the only thing she can do is move forward there's lots of burdens that come along in life a lot of things we we contribute to or we help create that creates a burden or there's burdens that we decide that we want to pick up and carry some cause that really matters to us. But there are some times when burdens choose us. They come into our life and they choose us. But there are no exits. Esther didn't find an exit. Katniss couldn't find an exit. What is the thing in your life that is a burden that has chosen you? that has come into your life, you didn't go looking for it, you didn't ask for it, but you have this thing. And everywhere you look, there are no exits. When Esther realized she was in that place, she said to Mordecai, fast, fast for me. In other words, she was saying, "Take up the spiritual resources you have and ask God for help, because I'm at a place where I'm at the end of myself, and if this is going to turn out if this is going to turn out in any way that's good, God is going to have to intervene in this place. I've seen people who carry the burden of cancer, sometimes it's young and sometimes it's old, but it's the burden of cancer that nobody chooses. And they carry it there 's no way to carry that without asking God for capacity. I have an aunt who, at this moment, is carrying the burden of reform within the criminal justice system and especially within in the places of, of uh, confinement within prisons. Her son, at the age of nine, entered the criminal justice system and from, now, from the age of nine until now, he's been in and out of prison and jail. That's a journey that came into my aunt's life that she never asked for, a burden that she carries. For a long time, she kicked against it. She railed against it. And then somehow, it's like the words that come from Mordecai to Esther. Maybe you were born for such a time as this. Those words have come alive in her life. Has a burden come into your life that you can't get away from? Have you ever heard those words come into your life? Maybe you were born for such a time as this. One other text of Scripture I'd like to point us to this morning, and that comes from John chapter 1. This is the prologue of John when John is introducing us to Jesus he's introducing us to the magnitude of who Jesus is. John says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness doesn't extinguish the light. The series of these three books is called... Uh, it's, in the, it's in the genre of dystopian literature, right? So dystopian is the opposite of utopia. Utopia is that place where everything is right, everything is good, everything is beautiful. It's, it's brimming with hope and joy, and you know you want to be there. Dystopian is like, you're never going to get off this dark ride. The films have, have been released in November, which typically is a rather dark season of the year here in southwest Missouri. And every time after I come out of the theater, after watching those films, I have a, uh, I have a face that looks about like this, right like that. Um, Kim is smiling because Kim would make a great politician. Uh, she can smile through anything. Uh but I've, that's a whole other story. I can't go there where, that's, where that was at, but I can't go there right now. But I come out of those films feeling really hunkered down, feeling depressed, feeling like, is, is there stuff within there that's happening now that I'm not seeing? Is, is that like a prophet speaking to, to me, speaking into the midst of where we're at? And then I remember that, that text from John. Light shines in the darkness and the darkness can't overcome it. Light shines in the darkness and the darkness can't overcome it. PETA is a character within the movie, right? Even though they try in a number of different ways to try and turn Peter, to try and use PETA as a tool for the capital, to try and even weaponize PETA psychologically, deep inside Peter's heart, there is truth and there is beauty and there is love that cannot be conquered, that can't be turned to darkness. Light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. I look at the news feed that takes place in a number of places in our own world and I begin to see darkness sometimes. And I begin to wonder where is there light in the midst of all that? I gather around in some places, in fact, even uh, the place where that, that picture was shot, and there was a lot of bad news that day. There was a lot of statistics that made me really morose. That's why I had that, that picture on my face. It's like, where is there light? And then I remember, light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. One of the places that speaks to me that shines the light in my own life is when I walk over to the neighborhood garden that's here on the Switzer campus. The neighborhood garden has a number of people that are, they've got their own plots. And about half of the plots in the neighborhood garden are taken up by people who are refugees from Burma who live just down the street from us. They live in this land of plenty and yet they don't have a lot of privileges that you and I have. And so the neighborhood garden was a wonderful opportunity that opened to them to come and to raise fruits and vegetables that they love and that they crave. And they culture life. They culture food. They culture relationships with one another. And then they've begun sharing their life with us. And letting us look into their lives. And as I look at that place, I see light shining in the darkness. Another place that I, I go to on a frequent basis is downtown at the Robert E. Plaster Center for Enterprise. I go on Wednesday mornings to an event called One Million Cups. And that's where entrepreneurs come, a couple of entrepreneurs a week. It may be in business, it may be in social enterprise. But they share their story, they share their heart, they share their passion. They share what they're, what they're hoping to do and, and what their dream is. And so I go down there and I listen to dreamers and then I hear other people ask them questions and give them feedback. I love the fact that there's a, a guy who attends Schweitzer, Philip Baird. Philip, I'm glad you're here today. Philip, uh, I don't know if you've ever taken a spiritual gifts test, but you have the spiritual gift of encouragement. And you encourage all the people who are sitting in the room to share their stories and to share their questions. And then this last week, after everybody had made their presentations and people were milling around in in conversation, Philip and I were talking and another guy came into the conversation. We started talking about some of the deep things in life and Philip listened for a little while and then he just spoke a word of encouragement and a word of wisdom. I think all the things that are happening in the world all the things that are heavy and that need our prayers, there's light. There's light that shines in the darkness. And the darkness doesn't overcome it. And those are just two examples. You have your own places. You know where there's light shining in the darkness. And it refuses to go out. You have your places where Christ has sent you to be a light. A light that shines in the darkness. Jesus said, love as I've loved. How are you doing that? How are you finding a a place, a person, some way to give of everything you've got in life to lay down your life for another? Where is there a burden that really matters that's come into your life that you need to ask God for courage and grace and strength to carry it. Where is that place in life where Christ has placed you? And he said, shine, baby, shine. Light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it.